0: 14. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 191 of 40 going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick.
1: I'm Joel.
2: And I'm Josh. And I may not be the law, but I'm still sitting here judging you.
0: <laughs> you got two thir- thirds of the job is yours. <laughs> yeah, so this week we are doing Judge Dredd. Uh We're doing the 1989... Yeah, 1989
1: movie. And also, 95.
2: Slug, 90. Slugging through the 95 Judge Dredd so we can talk about Dredd.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we get to take the bad to have the good and whatever that song said. Um, what show
3: was that? You take the good, you take the bad. You take them both, and there you have this show. There you go.
2: If you're interested in learning about the facts of life, you can always check out the podcast collective. Ooh where you can find such shows as On the Block, The Coffin' Joe Cast, The Internet with Scott the Cool Boy. I almost said Scott the Cool Boy. <laughs> Mint and Box cast, and of course, The Dog and Do Show, and The Rad Dad Radio Hour.
0: Yep, and if you're looking for our show on Saturdays afternoons while you're maybe doing something around the house, you can stream us at Geek Life Radio at 12 o'clock noon and find our old stuff on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and now podverse.fm
1: ooh
2: podverse. ah uh, podverse.fm last week i claimed it was last.fm
0: yeah no that's we that's we're sorry podverse but that was not right what i like about them is that you can do you can do like clips and in like facebook post clips from them which is pretty sweet so if pat does something entertaining you can be like hey here's when pat's being entertaining and then send that to your friends
2: or you could tell us about it
0: Yeah, and you do that by calling 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Apparently, I've
3: not been that entertaining because there's nothing to talk about. That's
2: not true. We have listener feedback. What?
0: We do. Yes.
2: Holy Um, crap, we got to this point in the show without fucking anything major up. The show's going to be a train wreck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) From this point on, it's all shit. Uh, It's from everyone's favorite Kiwi, Nikki New Zealand.
4: Hey guys, just me. Uh, just finished listening to your commercials episode, or ads, as we call them here. Um, ads, advertisements. Um, most of the show, I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. Uh, a lot of your local products, obviously, we don't get. Uh, we don't even get Taco Bell, so uh, yeah, don't really know any of their Taco Bell ads. Um, I also have a pretty shit memory, but uh, what I do know that we had was definitely the Energizer Bunny. Um, the John West Salmon ads, uh, with the guy fighting the bear, I know we definitely had that. Um, yeah, probably about it. <laughs> um, I know the Mentos commercial, because it, uh, was on Clueless, and obviously the Foo Fighters. Um, that was up, it was on Scary Movie. Um, yep, that's about it. Um, as for some Kiwi ads, um, I'll hopefully remember to share a whole bunch to your uh, Twitter or Facebook. Um, we have some pretty memorable uh, series of ads like the Spot Dog, which was for Telecom, one of our telephone companies. Um, there's the Bugger Dog. Um, that was for some <laughs> car manufacturer, Toyota or Hilux or something. Um, there was also recently some ads about uh, Pig. Um Yeah, I I guess we like animals in our ads. Um, I definitely have to share with you the Undies, 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 Togs ad. uh, Definitely a classic Kiwi ad that uh, you might have seen me share before, actually, because I share it all the time, but I'll send it again. Um, And more recently, uh, one of the more popular ads that we have is for a product called Spray and Walk Away. Mildly racist, so make sure you check that out. Um, Other than that, uh, I don't have normal TV anymore, just Netflix and uh, obtaining shows, so I honestly can't tell you um, any ads that we have on at the moment, except uh, I seem to see a Heineken ad at the movies a lot at the moment with um, Benicio Del Toro, um, not Antonio Banderas. Not sure if you know what that ad is, but I'll share that one as well. Uh, We get quite a few Heineken ads over here. Okay, that was a long ass voicemail, but uh, yeah, keep up the good work, guys. And um, I'm going to send a whole bunch of suggestions your way because there are some TV shows from uh, movies that have been remade that are actually really good, like Lethal Weapon. Please do a show on that. And I will no doubt uh, leave another voicemail when it comes to Doctor Who Month. You hear that? Month. Doctor Who Month. (laughs) Do it, Joel. Do it. Do it. All right. Love you guys. See ya.
0: I know the Benicio del Toro ads. For what I like is that she
2: seems to know us well enough that it was almost an intentional pause after she said "bugger." <laughs> I know she waited. For <laughs> there it. was a pause just long enough for Joel to, to giggle.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, and I think uh, that was Josh's motto in college: "Spray and walk away."
0: Yeah, what the hell is "spray and walk away"?
3: Somehow it's racist. Yeah, I don't know. Which. Uh, completely intrigues me. I, I want to know what that is and how it's racist. Uh, mold and Mildew Killer?
1: Oh, uh, it's an ad for um, uh, Mace. And they have police on it. It's spraying people.
0: Police isn't a race.
1: Nope. It's who they're spraying.
0: Let's, let's just move past the speculation, shall we? <laughs> All right. Before, before
3: I speculate something that gets us uh, shut down. <laughs>
0: yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> what <laughs> finally <laughs> shut you down. Patrick's speculation all over someone's face. It's that time. It is oh, about that time. This
3: week in music movies and TV And sports bitch. <laughs> Excuse me while I speculate this. What? 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 I don't know Excuse what the- me While I whip this out, Bla- blazing saddles was a reference. No, I
1: got the joke. I was just trying to figure out what you were speculating. Never mind. All
3: right. So this
0: week, June thirtieth, nineteen ninety-five, the original original release of Judge Dredd, starring Dredd. Sylvester Stallone.
3: Just starring in air quotes. Yes,
0: <laughs> starring. <laughs> this was a know. movie that was made.
1: With Amand Amand Asante.
3: All right. All right.
1: Music. Pocahontas is the number one movie in the land, and I'm reading the wrong section. Yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were going to talk about Colors of the Wind. Uh, Never mind. I'll make a
0: man out of you. Yeah. Spoilers there. Thank you.
1: Top songs in the land are Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman by Brian Adams? Don't Take It Personal, Just One of Them Days by Monica. And one more chance. stay with me by the Notorious B.I.G. Rest in peace. On June twenty-six, the Sundance Canadian rapper, that's, Rima nope, Major, is that's, born. Nope.
3: That's, nope. nope.
1: <laughs> Did you say
3: Sundanese? <laughs> no, he said Sundance. <laughs> no, he said the Sundance Canadian.
0: Sundance Canadian. Uh, apparently in this show, Mike will be played by Joel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's like the son of like Robert Redford and, and Alanis Morissette. Sudanese. Yes, I've I misread it. So Pocahontas Um, <laughs> on June 26th the Sudanese Canadian rapper Rima Major is born. That's a thing to counter the upset in the balance. Oh boy. Nazarai Yarimchuk Ukrainian singer dies at 43.
0: Wasn't a I whole heck of a lot man. that happened in music that uh, I guess not.
1: Wow, I didn't even know either of those people. Sundance or otherwise. Bitch. Ah. (laughs) Robert Smith, known professionally as Wolfman Jack, was one of the first rock and roll celebrity DJs in America. He died suddenly on July 1st when returning home from recording his show.
2: His hair was perfect.
0: (laughs) Poor
1: Poor Uh... Wolfman Jack.
0: I always liked Wolf. I especially liked, I don't know, I know it wasn't Wolfman Jack, but the Wolfman Jack uh, impersonator in um, Six String Samurai was spot on.
1: Ah, what a great movie.
2: Speaking of great movies, Pocahontas is the number one movie in the land, knocked off by Apollo 13. Hmm.
1: I think that premiered at Sundance.
2: Disclaimer Pocahontas may not actually be a great movie.
3: (laughs) I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. Just... Have you seen Avatar? Yeah. Then you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Dances with Wolves, too, before I saw either one of those. So I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: Movies released this week included Judge Dredd, Apollo 13, First Night, Clueless, as we were hearing in our voicemail, and the acronym of the week, MMPRTM, which, of course, is Mom's Memories Poke Right Through Me. <laughs>
1: What?
0: I'm guessing that's not it. It's a biopic, I
3: guess. (laughs) Uh, That's the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie.
0: Aw, we could have watched that and been better than uh, Judge Dredd. (laughs) Missed it by
3: that much. Yeah, you were very close.
0: Lana Turner,
2: actress from Survivors, The Postman Always Rings Twice, and Falcon Crest, among others, died of cancer at 75 on June 29th.
0: Lana, Lana, I'm wrong Lana.
1: <laughs> All right. Oh, phrasing.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, so, TV: the top shows in the land are ER, Seinfeld, and Friends. Not Seinfeld, comma and Friends. But I don't know if I would watch Seinfeld and Friends. Would that be? <laughs> would that would just be Seinfeld, basically. Could <laughs> your
1: hair be any taller? Giddy up.
0: So uh, Gail Gordon, known by all as Mr. Wilson on the Dennis Menace Show, the old black and white version, he was also the first pick for Fred Mertz on the I Love Lucy Show, and also the first actor to play the role of Flash Gordon in the 1935 radio serial, The Amazing Interplanetary Adventures of Flash Gordon. Uh, Gail Gordon also had roles on the Danny Thomas Show and the Donna Reed Show. On June 30th, 1995, he finally succumbed to lung cancer and was posthumously inducted to the Radio Hall of Fame and had a star on the Walk of Fame for his contribution to radio.
1: Interesting. He was yeah. Flash Gordon, huh?
0: Yeah, the original Flash Gordon on the before pre-TV Flash Gordon. So, uh, I mean, I, uh, there's so much more. I mean, honestly, we could with all the stuff that this guy's done, I mean, we could have filled up the whole tweet with just stuff about him because. Like, he's one of those guys, like like Pat always says, you don't know him until you see him, and then you totally know who he is. So, but he was a lot of a lot of people were also recognizing him for the I Love Lucy show because he, I think he was the he
1: was Mr. Mooney.
0: Yes, yeah, Mr. Mooney, and he always was getting like stuff dumped on his head and that sort of thing.
1: Was,
0: <laughs> yes. Was known By
2: the way, was. this last week's American Gods had Gillian Anderson as Lucy, sort of, and she was fucking amazing.
0: That's because she is. That's fantastic. So, also this week, Bob Ross, painter and host of The Joy of Painting, was diagnosed with leukemia in the early 90s, and it caught up with him on July 4th when he finally painted it black.
2: Those aren't happy
0: little trees. That's sad, man.
2: Yikes! Yeah, yeah, this whole twee is kind of a downer.
0: <laughs> Dude, Gil Gordon was like, kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of know that guy, that's sad,
3: but Bob Ross dying, that's just... That was, you know, not a hap- that was not a happy little accident. No.
1: Oh, you know who else painted Pocahontas? She painted with the colors of the wind.
3: John Smith painted Pocahontas. That's... Eva
1: Gabor <laughs> did
0: not paint Pocahontas, but she was Hungarian-born, and she rose to fame in green acres as a fish-out-of-water metropolitan stuck in a small-town farm life. She said her final goodbyes to city life on July 4th. What the Yikes. hell? Nice.
1: Good God. Is this the all death? Not, 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 not,
0: Love Connection and The State both air their final episodes this week when everybody on the show all dies at once.
2: See, <laughs> those shows died. Yeah. At the top, we had, we're talking about the Notorious B.I.G.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Yeah, so far, Joel's calling out Pocahontas is about the only thing that hasn't involved death.
0: <laughs> wow. Hey, how about sports? Is there any death in that? And sports.
3: Wait and see. On June 29th, George Foreman relinquishes his IBF title when he refuses to fight Axel Schultz in a rematch because he wanted to fight Mike Tyson, who was on his own comeback trail.
0: What's IBF? Is that when you? Is International that, Boxing Federation. Oh, I thought that was when you can't, you can't poop. You can have to poop all the. time. Ir, the
1: Irritable Bowel Federation.
0: <laughs> Worst federation ever. Can imagine <laughs> that. And they step into the ring. Oh my god!
4: <laughs> uh.
3: Bruce Mitchell was a South African cricketer who played in forty-two Tests from nineteen twenty-nine to nineteen forty-nine. The alarm should be going off in your head right now. Yep, here we go. (laughs) He was a right-handed opening batsman and played in every test South Africa played in that period. By the end of his career, he had 3,471 test runs to his name, which at the time was a national record. With his eight centuries, he finished just behind Dudley Norse, who made nine. He died July 9th, or July 1st, of not being alive anymore.
1: Isn't that the usual cause of death?
2: I was going to say, pretty common way to go. Yep, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's like the least sad one out of all of them.
1: God, God wins again.
0: Yep.
3: <laughs> God went undefeated in this tweet.
0: <laughs> just to remind you again, thanks to Pat, Bob Ross is dead. Aww. Thanks to
3: me, I didn't do it. I just reported it.
0: Can't prove it.
1: We're blaming you, Pat.
0: I'm going to blame
3: you, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> Where
2: were you on July 4th, 1995?
3: Probably Hannibal, Missouri. I'm gonna say,
0: yeah, probably in the South and drunk.
1: (laughs) Reading an episode, reading an issue of AARP and applying for Medicare because he's old.
0: Yeah, I got it. Closing music, Joel.
1: All
0: right, cool. So now we're on to something better, and better is in quotes. So we've wanted to find a reason to watch Dread.
2: Well, we found one.
0: (laughs) And this
2: isn't really a spoiler if you listen to our Sylvester Stallone show. I don't believe any of us liked this.
0: I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure none of us did. But uh, it is a necessary evil to get to the good. So Judge Joseph Dread is a fictional character who appears in British comic books published by Rebellion Development, as well as a number of movie and video game adaptations created by John Wagner and Carlos Esquera, and first appeared in the second issue of 2000 A.D. all the way back in 1977, a weekly science fiction anthology comic. He is the magazine's longest-running character. Joseph Dredd is a law enforcement officer in the, the, the dystopian future of Megacity One in North America. He is a street judge, empowered to summarily arrest, convict, sentence, and execute criminals. In Great Britain, the character of Dread and his name are sometimes invoked in discussions of police states, authoritarianism, and the rule of law.
1: You know what's interesting, and this was kind of a happy accident, that he's celebrating his 40th year this year, and we're doing the show.
2: Well, yeah, and just uh, yesterday, it'll have been four days by the time the show goes up, but they announced the Mega City One TV show.
0: Yep, and Joel made a Bob Ross comment, too, so that's even better. Thanks, Joel. Way to keep the show up.
1: I did? I did.
0: It's a happy little accident.
1: Oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm.
0: Whatever. Thanks,
1: Pat. Bitch.
0: Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Judge Dread, 1995, in a dystopian future, Joseph Dredd, the most famous judge, uh, is convicted for a crime he did not commit and must face his murderous counterpart.
2: The true crime is he took off his helmet
0: and had big, uh, wonderful baby blue eyes.
1: I am the law. <laughs>
3: it's. All right. Yeah, um, I remember there, you know, it being a big deal about, you know, Sylvester Stallone in, in insisting that he, you know, show his face, and I'm just like, I remember thinking, I was like, everybody knows what you look like. It's yeah. not exactly shocking or anything. <laughs> oh, and wait. everybody knows what Judge Dredd looks like. He doesn't take off his fucking
1: helmet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, that was Sylvester Stallone?
0: I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> to he, to he thought it that? was Sylvester <laughs> Malone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is directed by Danny Cannon, who has done Gotham, CSI, and a bunch of other TV, which explains why this looks like a bad television show. Uh, writing credits, as we said before, John Wagner and Carlos Esquera. Michael De DeLuca, uh, who wrote the story and also did American History X, Moneyball, and The Social Network, which is incredibly confusing to me because those are some really good movies. And none of them are like the other ones. Exactly, none of them have anything to do with Judge Dread. Uh, the other, now this is see, this is the thing where it, it gets it gets messed up because William Wisher Jr. also wrote the wrote the story, and he wrote was a writer on Terminator Two, Judgment Day, The Terminator, and The Thirteenth Warrior, along with, geez, uh, Exorcist: The Beginning, which you know, okay, a bunch of, and some of the other ones. But I mean, he's got Terminator Two under under his belt. And that sort of thing. My, and Michael DeLuca with American History X. They should have been, writing wise, a good story.
1: Right. They assembled a good team.
0: Yeah, but I mean, everybody. It still sucked. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So Sylvester Stallone, as we said before, plays the uh, Judge Dredd. Armanda Sante is Rico. Rob Schneider as Fergie. Jurgen Prochnow as Judge Griffin. Max von Sydow as Judge Fargo, which again, there's some more rep to this, I mean, because Max von Sydow was a, a big name. Diane Lane uh, as Judge Hershey, known now for being one of the Marthas for Batman vs. Superman. Joanna Miles as Magruder, not that Magruder, <laughs> which would have been probably even more entertaining. Um, Joan Chen as Ilsa and Balthazar Getty as
1: Olemeyer.
2: Yeah, if you had any doubts whether or not this was in the 90s, seeing Joan Chen's name in the cast, that'd narrow it down.
1: Well, and Balthazar Getty doesn't hurt either.
2: Yeah. Right. All they needed was Billy Zane.
1: <laughs> Aw, don't mess with Billy Zane. I like him.
2: Yeah, but like, if he is uh, in like the top five billings, it's probably a 90s movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably true. Or, or William Baldwin.
0: Yep. Yep. So some trivia. Director Danny Cannon was so disheartened over his constant creative disputes with Sylvester Stallone that he swore he would never again work with another big-name actor. He also claimed that the final version was completely different from the script due to changes that Stallone demanded. Christopher Walken turned down the role of Rico. Again, that would have been weird.
1: Well, and think about it. They're supposed to be his clone. So are they like fraternal clones?
0: They would have to be.
1: Because even Amanda Sante doesn't look much like Stallone. He looks more like him than Walken did, but...
2: Look. Yeah, enough that you could say, like, if they were cloned at the same age, like, environment and different things, maybe they could be the same guy.
3: I mean, you you shouldn't... That should be your biggest red flag of all if you're making a movie. And Christopher Walken says, no thanks.
1: <laughs> I could see him in the audition. He's like...
3: The man was in the Country Bear Jamboree, goddammit.
1: He, he's like... I am the law. I don't know. I can't. Tell. That was more of a Shatner. But
3: walking wanders
2: out of there, and he uh, decides what? he's going to tell Dennis Hopper not to take the role either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you shouldn't take the this. I'm, I'm your clone. That's how it goes, you know.
1: Oh man, I really wanted this man. I'm not working, man. Sorry, that was what my, was that? It was my terrible Dennis Hopper.
0: All right, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Thank so you. Pat. the scene in which Fergie mocks Dread was improvised and turned out to be so funny to see Rob Schneider making fun of Sylvester Stallone that it was kept in the movie.
2: Oh yeah, hilarious! Yeah, guess
0: what?
1: You were you were, and
0: they were like, yes, that was kind of funny. Let's keep it.
1: <laughs> You're wrong. Bye bye.
0: Sylvester Stallone had never heard of Judge Dread until he was offered the role. Go figure.
1: No big surprise there, since he helped probably influence the helmet thing which you'll get to now. Yeah. Um, That last trivia.
0: Scrolling down here. Yeah. Sorry. In Dread comics, tradition dictates that Dread does not take off his helmet. Thus, his face is only most fleetingly appeared in full, but the producers obviously would not allow an expensive performer, such as Sylvester Stallone, to never show his face clearly. Early on in development, Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the title
1: role. Which would have made it a different movie,
0: but not know much. Schwarzenegger doesn't have the right body type for... For uh, dread, dread's like tall and lanky. Like, yeah,
1: but that—I mean, uh, he... oh go
0: ahead. I was gonna say its its it maybe more of the style that he was drawn too. So, but I mean, it just—I I, every time I think Judge Dread, in my mind, he's always like seven and a half feet tall.
2: Yeah, this could have been good. This could have I mean... been a
0: lot of things. <laughs>
2: If someone had reigned in Stallone and said, no, we're, we're making this movie, not about some character that you're making up on the fly. <laughs> and had they not attempted to uh, combine the whole Rico plotline, which is classic dread and the long walk uh, with Minty, uh, putting that in for Judge Fargo. Like they take two classic dread lines, plot lines, either of which could have been a good movie, jam them together and then put Rob Schneider in it.
1: Right, and I mean, the Angel family alone is has is a, got a long history with Dread, especially Mean Machine, and to throw them in there in the mix on top of it, it's like, again, 90s, too much of a good thing, overkill.
0: Well, I do have to say, even though the whole Angel family thing was kind of messed up, uh, Mean Machine looked dead on from the comics.
1: I, I didn't have a problem with his character design, nor did I have a problem with the, uh, I can't think of the robot now, but... Cause those were characters from the comic and they did a pretty good job of staying true to that. And you're right. Dread is typically long and lean. And I mean, he's all muscle. I mean, he's just built like a brick shit house, but he's tall.
0: And his uniform is not designed by Versace, (laughs) which these were, it was in the, it was in the opening credits. Something I noticed. Really? Yes. All, all of the, all of the um, outfits for the judges were all designed by Versace.
1: That's funny. I didn't and, catch that.
0: And because also it was the uh, it was the 80s and 90s. The score was written by Alan Silvestri, just like every other score in this time. He
1: also, well, and to their credit, the the uniforms looked closer to the comic than in the the newer version. But
0: but that giant huge yeah. eagle on your shoulder looks awesome in a comic, but looks stupid as all shit in real life.
1: Exactly. There, there's a point where you have to rein things in a little bit. Again, nineties excess mm-hmm. to create something that works. Um, I'm waiting to hear Pat chime in a little bit because I'm curious since he's the one who probably has the least experience with the character, what his take is on it from an outsider perspective.
3: You could, you could easily tell that this was a, a stylized attempt to look like a comic book. Um, I don't know. I mean, I th- I thought the, the uniforms themselves looked ridiculous. It looked like, you know, wearing football pads without wearing football jerseys and pants, you know, and it just, it didn't, it didn't, it, it, everything looked like it was made to look cool and not actually be functional.
1: Mm-hmm. That's well, a great point, actually, because I think in the, the reboot, that's, our, that's one of the things that they got right.
0: Everything was functional.
1: Right, mm-hmm. and it looked like because in 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 this future, it's there's so much overcrowding and so much just filth and grime and crime and dirt and everything there that no matter how clean you keep your uniform, there's going to be cracks and dents and scuffs. But yet these guys' uniforms look like they were freshly pressed every single day.
3: Yeah, yeah. you can't ride a motorcycle in the open air and walk around as clean as these guys always are.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I can I jump back to the Alan Silvestri thing one? I didn't yeah. I, I looked up to see cuz I'm like I remember seeing his name all the time in the movies. That man has been everywhere. Fandango, Cat's Eye, Back to the Future, Summer Rental, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Overboard, The Abyss, back to, uh the other Back to the Futures, Young Guns 2, Predator 2, uh Father of the Bride, Death Becomes Her, Fern Gully, and it, it all continues his his composing continues all the way up into uh t- Night at the Museum two thousand fourteen and he's currently doing the music for Avengers Infinity War. Wow. Yeah. The man's been man's been around. Man's been doing some stuff. I mean, good on him. Uh <clears throat> so first off, Darth Vader is narrating this. Really? Yeah, the opening opening he was uncredited in the movie, but Darth Vader is the opening voice first voice you hear.
2: Not James Earl Jones, just Darth Vader.
0: Yep. (laughs) It was between movies. He's like, I haven't done anything in a while. That's all right. Um, In the
1: future.
0: Yeah. So, and everything. You know, the first big battle happens on the corner of Abbott and Costello. Mm -hmm. I is that a thing from the comics that I'm not aware of? That was that that they would make, you know, like intersections were comedy troops, comedy duos.
1: Well, everything in it is, is, I mean, there's a lot of media references throughout it. I mean, the whole thing is kind of, I mean, everybody's, I, I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but yes, I mean, those types of things happen in the comic, yes. Okay, okay.
0: Um, and then, yeah, like I said, he does take off his helmet because he insisted that you see his face and his Kirk, when, when he took off his helmet, the first thing I thought of was Kirk Lazarus from... um Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, where he takes his contacts out and he's got like those baby blue eyes. What was up with his eyes in this one? His eyes are not that color.
1: Oh you mean Stallone's?
0: Stallone's, yeah. He must have been wearing contacts,
1: I guess. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> but
3: I don't know why they would do I mean what what
1: Look
3: it's it, it's not Stallone, he's got blue eyes.
1: <laughs> it's just... I thought they looked weird, but I couldn't pick why.
3: Stallone doesn't have blue eyes. This can't be him.
2: I must be watching the wrong movie. You are, because you're watching this
1: movie. (laughs) That's so true.
2: I mean, the thing about Judge Dredd is, let's be fair, I'm a fan, and it is sort of an inherently ridiculous concept, but the reason it works is because it fully commits to the grimdark. If you back off on that, even one iota, the whole thing falls apart. So when you're thinking like, uncompromising, grim, no hope, violent. Yeah, I'm not going to jump straight to the A hey, making copies guy.
3: Right? <laughs> well, I mean, the problem seems to be like like what happens in a lot of movies like this where there's just such a discrepancy between what the director wants and what the the, the lead actor wants. It just turns into this muddled pile of mess where because like S- Stallone was wanting to do a comedy And that's why he wanted Rob Schneider, you know, whereas the director, you know, didn't want to do a comedy. He wanted to stick closer to the source material. But, you know, you got Stallone who didn't even know the source material. And you got one guy trying to stay faithful to everything. I mean, obviously, it's going to turn into a muddled mess.
0: Honestly, I think if they had put in um, Armando Sante as Judge Dredd, it would have turned out better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean,. There's so many things wrong with it, and what I tried to do because I haven't watched it since the first time I saw it because I just left such a bad taste in my mouth, and that was before I was as big a fan as I am now because I've gone back and I I've as I showed you guys I've been reading through all the the uh, uh, the compendiums you know the omnibuses of of the old issues starting with number one back in '77 and just been moving forward year by year, um, and it just if you if you look at it as not Judge Dread. And you just make it a '90s action movie, sci-fi, fun thing. It still it kind of works. There's there's points where it works. It it I, does suck, but
2: yeah, I'm with Pat on this one. This sucks. Like if you want that, you can get that, and you can even keep uh Stallone. You just watch Demolition Man.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and that and that's the the parallels that we were making. I mean, it's like Rob Schneider and uh, Sylvester Stallone together again. It's you know, it's. I mean, first of all, why is that so the weird? The duo that nobody
3: is asking for. <laughs> yeah, the duo, duo that nobody wanted and nobody requested. Second, second only to Jay Leno and Pat Morita.
1: Well, and the, the, the Dude, outside talking. of the helmet, the other it. thing that really bothered me was that ending where he, he's like, she's like, you're hurt. You need to go see a doctor. And he's like, I got to get back on the streets. And then they kiss.
0: Yeah, that was really. It, I mean, I, I could see. I didn't see this in the theater, but I I can see anybody who was an actual Judge Dredd fan, them slapping them that that moment right there, slapping him completely into an aneurysm. In the theater, because first off, he has no helmet. Second of all, he's playing a romantic lead. Now, and it's it's so off.
3: Trying to turn trying to turn Judge Dredd into a romantic comedy is a, a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what 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 we saw in this movie.
2: And it's hard to do, Judge Dread. Let's face it.
0: Well, we had talked about this on our chat this week. I mean, it's not like his character has a lot of depth. You know, he yeah.
2: Over the course of forty years, he gets it. But as I was uh, saying, you can't start with him diverging too far from his "I don't compromise, I don't change." Mm-hmm. It's a big deal if he's been this way for fifteen years and he starts to question the law. Yeah if in episode two of a series, he starts to question the law, it, it doesn't mean anything.
1: And, and dreads never, the closest thing dreads had to a romance is Walter, the Wobot, And it's, that's not a romantic thing. It's just his, it, that's the closest thing to a friend he had early on or his, his uh housekeeper. And those characters eventually went away because it, it was too different from the storyline. Um, he's is, just, it-
3: I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were done.
1: He he's not one to have interpersonal relationships like that. He he respects people like Hershey in the comic. He looks at it as the only other person really that is a peer that he feels is worthy of you know their position as a judge. Um, and they just they just they just shit over the whole story, <laughs> start to finish.
3: Well, going back to what I was talking about earlier with the director being the only person apparently. Who understood and wanted to do the source material, they didn't even allow him in post production.
0: Really?
2: Wow.
3: Yeah, I mean, Stallone and him had such a falling out on the set that you know, Stallone, being the the one of the executive producers and one of the guys with all the power, basically wouldn't even let the director into the editing room.
0: See, no, the the thing that's disheartening to me on this is because. If you look now, I know I made the crack about Danny Cannon looking like it was made by, you know, it looks like a TV show. But, you know, at the time, yeah, you know, it's not like they had a lot to work with. But currently he's doing Gotham. Now, you should look at what he did with Gotham and taking in that sort of dystopian now. But him giving him full reign to be able to do something like Gotham with uh, with Judge Dredd, you can see the man actually has the chops to create that kind of world.
3: Well, I mean, he was obviously too early in his career to be able to battle Sylvester Stallone, who was already much more known and more powerful Yeah, than him at that point, And the studio was going to listen to Stallone over him,
0: which is sad.
2: Yeah. And I mean, if you like I said, if you listen to the Stallone show, we're not anti Stallone here, but he just made some shitty decisions.
3: Well, he never was. should have been the the person cast in this movie, and he should have deferred to the people that knew more about this character rather than let his, his you know, I mean, he, at that point in his career, he was trying to get away from the action movie. You know, he, he, he I mean, that's one of something that we discussed briefly in the Stallone show is like Stallone has always been a reluctant action, action star. -hmm. He's always wanted to be, you know, known as a serious actor and and almost a comedian. I mean, he's always wanted to be known as Robert Redford, not as Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: Can we also touch on the, uh, the bike chase? We have to. And how incredibly awful it was, because I want (laughs) to give the movie credit in a couple of spots. The, the design of the city was a lot of ways closer to the comic than, the reboot was. The reboot was more of just a slightly, slightly in the future, um, Detroit type type city, and some of the the designs that they used were pretty uh, spot on. The wall, the 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 um,
0: uh, Statue of Liberty.
1: I was trying to think. No, the, the um, God damn it, the wasteland. I can't think of the name of what they actually call it, but the Thank you. I couldn't think of the name of it. I was trying to blank. Um, it, it just it that felt a lot more legitimate in ways. And one of the things that just a quick sidebar f- about the comic that is fascinating that I uh, I didn't realize until I was doing some research. When they created the story, they decided that every year that the book was being written, counted as one year in the world. So from 1977 until now, every year that the book has been in existence one year passes in the story they don't jump ahead they don't jump back it just continues on year by year by year
3: Hmm. so it's like for better or for worse
0: i don't know Uh, what that means that's that's an odd parallel but yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's one thing that i
3: it's a sunday comic joel
2: oh okay it's one thing i kind of appreciate about 2000 ad is they decide to take it in a different direction it's like if we're going to have these uncompromising characters who rarely change they rarely get real moments of character development let's develop the city instead let's make sure their environment gets the character development
0: well i think some of it also had to do with Sylvester that's not knowing the character he didn't give a damn about the set yes that i think is i think if he actually paid attention if he Was he was more concerned with the fact that his face was covered up over anything, and that's why everything went to hell because he wanted his pretty face to be seen. So that portion of it, the and I agree with you, Joel. I think the the city itself looked more comicized in this one with the like the Statue of Liberty in there, the scorched earth and everything looked like it was a city that had just been piled on top of each, each other. You know, it wasn't like a planned out thing. Like in the new one, it looks like there's this gigantic sprawling city that was planned out. In this one, it looks more like it does in the comic, where we only have this much area to build in because everything else is scorched earth. Let's just keep piling stuff on top of each other.
3: If Stallone had been in charge of set design, there would have been, like, wacky billboards and stand-up comedy on every corner.
0: Well, well there, was there that a little bit. <laughs> it was the corner of Adam and Costello, and there were wacky billboards. There's, there, are screw In the comic, there are these, like, screwball—I don't want to say screwball, but these, like, almost kind of like uh, Futurama-type billboards in the background. Of it, but it's but it's kind. It's
3: this, this this movie felt like it was trying to be, and, it, and it's very interesting that uh, I read some trivia about it, talking about how um, it was really almost released very very close to um, uh, RoboCop, but they were so similar that they decided to put this movie off for a little while. Oh, and it's just <clears throat> it's very telling how. Robocop even though it's not a movie that I necessarily like it does a better job of of the uh the satire than this movie does yes
1: well, yeah
3: because this absolutely. movie there there's nothing i mean I thought Robocop was ham fisted with its with its with its satire but this is this is almost like I don't know um <laughs> Ham Hulk Fisted, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this, this movie, if you ever were to write a, uh, some sort of a paper on, on film, this would be kind of the epitome of, of, of nineties excess cinema. I mean, everything about it just is over the top and just like we have too much money. Let's just spread it around as much as possible in this movie. This,
3: this movie has no nuance at all.
1: It's about as subtle as a hammer to the head. And that that last scene when he's like, I got to go. And he gets out, puts his helmet on and kisses the girl and drives off. If he would have just driven off, it would have been fine. Why did he drive to the top of the the eagle's head and just stop?
0: Because that's that's an iconic image from the comics.
1: It is, but it it doesn't make sense in the movie world.
0: But at that point, why are you first off? I'm I'm a big fan of buildings that are shaped like animals. We need more animal-shaped buildings. (laughs) I was down with that. That's cool. Second of all, it was one of those things where they were like, okay, cool, this is a scene in the comics, and at the last, you know, the very last scene, Danny Cannon's like, for the love of God, let's just put that in as some sort Mm -hmm. of reference that somebody in this movie has actually read the comic.
1: Right. I guess so. I didn't think of it like that, but... I'm getting it. All my
2: Marines running on my sunset down the base in (laughs) Guam. And then Sylvester Stallone insisted on putting two cows into the shot. <laughs> Fuckity fuck, fuck,
0: fuck. Never.
3: Oh, Jesus. There's
2: a. I was going to say, and that is such an obscure reference. Right?
1: Maybe one person's going to get it.
3: Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no one listening. Yeah. Yeah. So look that one.
1: This <laughs> <laughs> one person who's not listening's ears are burning right now. <laughs> They're talking about something I know about.
0: I just had a weird thought about a cow all of a sudden. Uh, anyway, but um, but no, like I said, that's because the the Judge Dredd on his bike, sitting on the edge of a building, is tantamount to Batman sitting on the corner of a building, brooding over the city. So I think
3: that, that that's uh, what it felt like they were trying to do was that little iconic shot, mm-hmm. the the city protector kind of thing. Yeah,
1: see, it would have made more sense at the beginning, like if they that was the opening shot, like him there, kind of overseeing the city, and then. I don't know, but it just it just felt really forced, and I guess, I, I think I agree with what Mike was saying, that it probably was the director like, oh, please let me have one thing.
0: Yeah. Can I can I throw back to something that has always bugged me since, <clears throat> okay, so, back when I was a kid, we would go, you know, we had garage sales in our neighborhood, and went to one garage sale, and a guy had a box of Judge Dredd comics that he was selling for, like, Maybe fifteen bucks, and I never bought them. They were the oh, old school wow. ones that didn't have covers. And to this day, it always bugs me because it was it was a good, say 30, 40 comics in there. And was
2: I, it Judge Dread magazine or was it Two Thousand AD?
0: I think it, maybe it was Judge Dread magazine because it was a bigger it was bigger than a regular comic book, but um. But to this day I always want I almost want to go back in time and be like, dude, come on, it's fifteen bucks. Pony it up. <laughs> so
1: come on, man, I am the law.
0: <laughs> All right. All right, I think we've about beat this horse to death. Yes. Do we want to do a thumbs up, thumbs down now, or if we just assume everybody knows?
2: I, I think it was pretty clear from the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so when we come back
3: I'll give, give Diane Lane a thumbs up. We always give Diane Lane a thumbs up. That's about it. But. Yeah. All
2: right. So when we come back, (laughs) uh, we're going to take a look at the remake and see if our opinions have changed on films that try to portray Judge Dredd.
0: Yeah. With Dredd. Right. Be back in a little bit. back and we are ready to talk about Dread. This is not the Sylvester Stallone version that we were talking. This is 2012, written by or directed by Pete Travis and starring Carl Urban. And I think we may have all, I think as much as we were in the same on the last uh, last movie, I think we may be all in line on this one also. But uh two thousand twelve, in a violent futuristic city where the police have the authority to act as judge, jury, and executioner, a cop teams with a trainee to take down a gang that deals with the reality altering drug slowmo, which makes everything slow down to one-tenth of the right, how is state. that
3: in any way appealing i, don't know, I mean i I get it like for like a novelty thing, but like to do that every single day. uh life is already taking forever.
2: <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Especially considering that the people who are taking it, their lives aren't that great. <laughs>
3: right? Right? Oh, can I make this, like, th- this, this time in my drugged out stupor last even longer while I'm in this crack hotel covered in sores and roaches? Can I make that last longer?
0: Wow, that got, wo- I mean, crack hotel covered in sores and roaches. I must have missed that scene, but.
3: Yeah, that was, that was going on.
0: That was going on? They have
1: one that makes you think you're Woody Allen. It's called Mo. Anyway,
0: Jesus. Okay, so that was. This is directed by Pete Travis. Uh, they have
3: one that makes you think you're Mayor of New York. It's called Cuomo.
1: That's a good one, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is. Stop. We made it to the second half.
0: Stop. Rewind. Do it again. All right. So this is directed by Pete Travis, who is known for such movies as Endgame which I haven't seen, and Vantage Point, which I do want to see. Uh, He's also got The Jury, something called Other People's Children, a TV series, and the Home Farm Twins. Because obviously, if you make Dread, you're also going to make something called the Home Farm Twins.
4: You
2: know, there's one that makes your hair huge. It's called Fromo. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
3: (laughs) There's one that makes you quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, it's called Romo.
0: (laughs) Or Breaking Mike. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, You're you're testing my constitution. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Pete Travis directed it, writing credits by John Wagner, who uh, also wrote, and the other, the previous Judge Dredd, uh, but also was a writer on such things as The History of Violence. Which is actually a really good movie. Uh and a
1: graphic novel.
3: Yep. Another graphic novel. Uh and graphic fight scene. Yes. If you like yeah. Vigo Mortensen's penis, get all up in that fight scene.
1: Fight
0: <laughs> Alex Garland wrote the screenplay. Uh known for Twenty Eight Days Later, Sunshine and Ex Machina. Which Ex Machina is so is really on my list for yeah, watch. I
2: haven't gotten around to it either.
1: It it's looks- fantastic. Uh Sunshine is a very underrated classic or underrated sci-fi movie. And Twenty Eight Days Later is is amazing too. So he's he's got skills.
0: Fantastic. Oh. Okay, cool. Um so the stars Carl Urban. Or rather, Carl Urban's mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and his body.
0: Well, I mean, and that's the thing, is like I understand you know Stallone. You, you want it to be seen, you wanted people to know it was you. You could one you could tell it was Carl Urban. I mean and he was doing a great job of it. And one of the funny thing is like I actually watched this with the girls, which in retrospect probably was a bad idea, but <laughs> <laughs> it's um you know watching it and they're like, you know who that is? No, I have no idea who that is. That's a Bones from the new Star Trek movies. What? I'm like, yeah, he's he's good at this stuff, isn't he? Um also let's see, what is this? Oh, it must be in, in order of presentation on here. I was gonna say you can
1: probably skip the next three <laughs> or four or five.
0: Uh let's go down to Olivia Thorby as Judge Anderson, the psychic judge. Now that's actually straight out of the comics also. And I was excited when I first saw this that uh that she was in this that the uh Judge Anderson was in this. Uh Reikiola? O- is that right? Reiki o- Iola? Good nephew. Yeah, yeah Chief uh, Judge. close enough, yeah. And uh, Lena Headley is Mama. Hetty. Hetty. I- I'm not making a,
2: a reference <laughs> to that. Hedley!
0: <laughs> it's Hedley. Hedley uh, as Cerise Lannister and Queen Gorgo and Mary Sandin from The Purge, Rise of an Empire, and Game of Thrones.
2: And in this, she plays Mama.
0: Yeah. We were watching that, and we've seen enough Game of Thrones and other characters, and Suzanne's like... Why do I recognize her? I'm like you don't recognize her because she's not with her brother.
2: Yikes! <laughs>
3: yeah, because hey. they do it. Um, it would be dad in this. <laughs> so
0: some trivia: Carl Urban insisted on riding the Lawmaster motorcycle himself. Good on him. Good for you.
2: Yeah, if you're gonna make insistences, that's the one to make. Not I get to take my helmet off and turn this into a uh, episode of Saturday Night Live.
0: Right. This is going to be, I'm the bad, I am the law, I want to drive that badass motorcycle. Uh, in the scene before Judge Dredd and Anderson travel to Peach Trees, all the crimes in Mega City 1 are shown on computer screens in the Hall of Justice. One of the first screens shows a crime being assigned to Judge Hershey. And Judge Hershey, as we know, was one of the main characters from Judge Dredd,
1: 1995. And a very prominent character in the comic, along with Anderson. Yeah,
2: yeah I-, I thought that was a weird way to phrase the trilogy. It's like whoever, I mean the trivia, <laughs> Whoever wrote that obviously didn't know there was a comic book.
0: Hmm. Uh, in the original strip, profanity was necessarily substituted with invented words, notably the often shouted expletive "drock." In this film, a genuine swearing is used throughout, but "drock" is referenced in the opening scene as it is emblazoned across the back of a jacket when the criminals are fleeing in a van.
1: And I didn't notice that the first few times I saw this, but I noticed that last night when I was watching it.
0: Yeah, it's it's the equivalent to "frack" from. Uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Michael Bean auditioned for the lead role.
1: That would have been a different movie. Yeah.
2: I mean, not necessarily a bad one.
1: No.
0: He's fine. Yeah. I think he would have been good, but I think, I think the sci-fi cred that, uh, Carl Urban has, the sci-fi fantasy cred, lended a little bit more to it. Well, more Michael than Corporal Bay- Hicks? Yeah. yeah Kyle I- Reese? Yeah, but he was—he's kind of known. Yeah, I know, but I mean, for the for the year that this came out,
1: I, I get you, right? I, he, I mean, he would play a, the uh, older Judge Dredd better. Yeah, but,
0: let's say if they had had him do Judge Dredd back in '96, that would have made more sense because everybody would have known him for that. But
1: I, I totally get that. I was just taking
2: issue with you saying that Michael Bean didn't have sci-fi street cred.
0: Oh no, <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for a 2012 version of this, I think more people would recognize uh recognize um Carl Urban even sure. with the helmet on then they would I mean if they had him in there as like a like a a cameo that would make sense. But I think so many years after the original movies were made that would be kinda kinda weird. That's all moving Mer- on. <laughs> in the nineteen ninety film Judge Dread removes his helmet, but in this film is more true to the comic book in every way possible and Judge Dredd wears his helmet throughout the entire movie and never removes it.
1: And you know, the funny thing is, in the 40 years the comic has been around, in a couple of the first, in the very first year, there was one sequence where he had the helmet off, and that you all, all you saw was the reaction of his fellow judges, who almost made it seem as if he was disfigured. And then there's a couple scenes where you see it like a shadow when it's off. But otherwise, even when he gets up out of bed in the morning, when he's at his apartment, it's on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it (laughs) It's never off.
2: Yeah. He it pretty much only takes it off for a long time when he becomes the scarred dead man.
1: He's in disguise. Right. There is a couple of times where he's gone undercover and he wears masks, but even then it's not him.
2: Right. And I don't know if you guys know the scar. I keep talking about the scarred dead man. Plotline is when he takes the long walk.
0: Yeah. Because they take all your gear, then.
2: Yeah, and he assumes a completely different uh, uh, identity, basically.
0: All right. So, first thing I thought of after seeing seeing this after this one finished, it was I want a Judge Anderson movie.
1: Well, she has she had her own series. I've in my collection of Judge Red comics, I've got quite a few of her comic book. That was after they imported some of it here, but yeah, she would, she's kind of a pivotal character, and her her relation to the whole Judge Death um, storyline is, yeah.
0: Yeah, her, her whole thing is that she is the only one that can hold Judge Death in her mind, so she's the only person that can actually capture him. So she has to tuck him in her head and then take him to a place where they will be able to hold, another place where they'd be able to hold him, but she's the only one who can actually, like, Arrest, judge, death.
1: Which I thought Thirlby's portrayal of her was 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 pretty dang good. I was I was happy with that casting.
0: Yeah, me too. She did a great job, um, especially for the introduction to her when she was sitting in the sitting in the room and he discovers that she's a mutant actually. So, but uh, something else that I did notice is when they threw the gas grenades after the, after the lockdown happened in uh, Peach Trees. They're like break out the respirators. Those are nose flutes. Are they? They are. <laughs> was, I don't know if you ever seen them. You, they're little like oblong things. You hold one, and one of them holds under your nose, and the other one you blow through it, and you open and close your mouth as you blow through your nose to make make the notes play. They spray painted them black and covered up the hole, and that's that's really? what those, that is exactly what they are.
3: It's, it's <laughs> you no, know, that's
0: a jew harp. That's different. <laughs>
3: Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I thought it was the same thing. No pats on Shlomo. It's okay.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's something something that I noticed off of that. But uh, the other thing is the yellow hair kid. He's kind of freaked me out. He's the 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 tech guy. The yellow oh, eyebrows. like the albino looking dude. Yeah, the albino guy with like the bright yellow hair. He was kind of freaky. Um. But I I was all in on this movie from the very beginning. I mean, the second this movie starts up, it's like, this is going to be an action-packed guns going, car chases, people exploding all over the place type of thing. And you realize that, like, in the very beginning when um, they're trying to run away from the judge and the van hits that guy with the headphones on. Yeah. And he just splashes across the dashboard. I mean, he splashes across the windshield. (laughs) That <laughs> was just like
3: yeah. This movie, this movie was much more gory and violent than I anticipated. Oh yeah. After watching the first movie, I, I did. I didn't think this was going to be so so gritty and and nasty. And boy, boy, it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: boy, were you wrong. Now, was this your first time seeing it, Pat?
1: Yes. Strangely,
2: the... it was my first time seeing the remake. Really? What? Yep. Yeah. He'd
1: said that before, but I'm acting surprised.
0: Yeah, I I
2: hadn't gotten around to it. It was on my list.
0: Huh. So, what was your first impression of it then?
2: Yeah. Well, I I was. I had heard so many good things about it. And I was like, I'm going to watch this with an open mind. I'm neither going to immediately fanboy out or uh, flashback to 95. I've been hurt before. (laughs) And uh, you know what? I enjoyed it. I think it is obviously the best interpretation of Dread we've seen, but it's not perfect. No. There are a few things. There are a few places it goes into uh, action movie cliché, a uh, convenient escape, mm-hmm. stuff where a little bit of writing, better writing, could have helped.
3: The whole uh, idea that he could have escaped that hellfire that was them literally destroying an entire floor with giant bullets was ridiculous.
2: Well, Mm -hmm. and uh,
3: they they could have written a better escape for him rather than he just keeps running.
2: Yeah. And judge Anderson being captured, I will grant them the convenient her psychic powers don't work because plot, because she was distracted. I'll give them that one for free, Mm. Uh, but they've got her. And not only do they not immediately shoot her in the head, even though mama's plan, there's no reason why they shouldn't have but they put her alone in a room with a dude who conveniently tries to kill her with the only weapon that won't work. hmm But that's a problem.
0: Well, and that's a problem, but it's also, it seems like everybody in the world except for this dude knows that you don't pick that gun up.
1: That's right. the thing that threw me, because if these guys are dealing with the judges, and that, that part had that bothered me from the first time I saw it, is that they're dealing with them on a regular basis At some point early on, they're going to be like, don't take their guns because you're going to lose your arm or you're going to die or whatever.
2: Right. The first time that happens to a street punk, all of a sudden that's a legend and everybody knows you don't grab a log ever.
1: Right. That part bothered me when I first saw it too, but it's forgivable when you take it as a whole, the whole movie. Didn't
2: wreck the movie for me, but I, I will call out bullshit when I see it.
0: Oh yeah. And that, and that's exactly what that is. I mean, it's, that's that's not a oops, I shouldn't have picked up that gun. You like you said, if these are if this is a full on gang with that many people that they can take over a two hundred story uh massive block of people, you bet your ass they know that you don't touch the lawbreakers.
2: Also bomb kill switch that only goes off when your heart stops and you don't have a way to manually trigger? Bad planning.
0: What happens if you sneeze?
1: <laughs> She was on (laughs) slow-mo. She wasn't thinking. Well,
2: yeah, but time doesn't slow for everyone else. Even if she thought it took an hour and a half to press the button to blow everybody up, they'd still be dead.
1: (laughs) She just savored the moment a little more than they did. Right. (laughs) Did
2: she learn nothing from Dennis Hopper in Speed?
0: and i'm I'm getting that I'm getting Pat's vibe off of this one. I'm not entirely sure what the what the fun of that drug would be. I mean everything everybody else keeps moving at the same time if, if, if it maybe if it's sped i mean initially I thought when they did that all the slow motion scenes with them like with her in the bath that would, was
2: a gorgeous scene. I mean really yeah. that's the point no of
0: it. It, it was it was a gorgeous scene, but my th- initial thought was it speeds you up so fast that everything else seems like it's going slow to you. Type of thing, but not that it slows you down so much. I mean, because then I don't know.
3: I mean, you. Would, I mean, for that to actually be like a good drug, you would have to use it in conjunction with something else. Like you take acid, and then you take slow mo. Well, like you but you can't I... just take, take slow mo and then what? Like go to the grocery store. It's going to take you three hours just to get some chips.
1: <laughs> well, I think, but but by the way that they were shooting the the film, whenever they showed it from the perspective of the drug user. That everything was like a kaleidoscope, and there was, you know, lots of sounds. Well, and I mean, it, it,
3: it basically seemed to me like they had manufactured. They they came up with an idea. We want to have all these, you know, slow motion, really cool cinematography shots.
1: I knew you were going to say that.
3: Let's manufacture a drug that will allow us to use all these shots that we have in mind on the storyboards. Oh well, it slows time down. Okay, perfect. And nobody, there was nobody in any of the writing that it was like a. You know, somebody that used hallucinogenics and I was like, you know, well, we should maybe give it a little more than just that.
1: But it turned the world beautiful and it slowed it down so you could enjoy that.
3: all, all the, all the cokehead writers were all like, like, yeah, man, yeah, Um, man. Time goes too fast because we're all coked up, so let's get something to slow stuff down.
1: A little too hard because I just have a
0: vision of,
3: did Paco get the pizza? Yeah.
0: It's been like four and a half hours, man.
3: Open up the door and he's still on the porch. It's like, what?
0: I forgot the money.
3: Like, you haven't even done the drugs yet. Oh, that's right.
1: <laughs> the only other thing that I took issue was was Mega City 1 itself. Now, the, the, the blocks were cool, but it was way too underpopulated to be the massive sprawl that is mega any of the mega cities specifically. Well, this was mega obviously one, but.
3: Less about the city and more about just one of these buildings.
1: Well,
2: obviously. Peach Tree on lockdown with an entire gang. It's a good setup for almost a horror cop show thing where you've got all the criminals hunting you and there's no one who can call them off.
3: It it's, felt like a it felt like a Shadow Run mission, honestly.
1: It's basically, I mean, if you've seen the, the movie, the raid, that's what it most commonly gets compared to because it's the same scenario. It's just they're not, it's not like a complete lockdown where you can't get out. But, um, according to the comics, the, these, these, uh, structures are can, can full to capacity of about 50,000 people in it. Hmm. And it's just straight up. So, I mean, it's like, it's like you take a, a literal, like a block of a city and you just make it vertical so i mean it's it's jam-packed full of people and they're just you didn't get that sense especially when they're in the car chases or when he drives his motorcycle off there's just not enough because they're overpopulated by like eight times capacity um in the mega cities and there's eight mega cities across the
3: it should look more like india right than new york
1: yes very much so
2: Um, there is stuff I really loved. I loved the psychic combat scenes.
0: Oh, where she was in his head?
2: Yeah. And she took stuff that she knew would get to him because, uh, she'd heard about mama, uh, basically castrating a dude with her teeth.
0: Yeah. That was, that was that moment where I decided that watching, having letting the girls watch it was a bad idea. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah. That scene, Mike was on slow mo.
3: No, <laughs> it's
1: RoboCop all over. <laughs> that wasn't his fault, though.
0: No, I had nothing to do with RoboCop. <laughs>
1: no. What about the What about the uniform? We should really talk about that since I posted those pictures in the chat for, you know, comparison between the comic, the this '95, and the current. Well, it's
3: it's clear that. The first movie was much more true stylistically, uniform-wise, to the comic, but this movie was just much more practical and realistic looking. Mm -hmm.
0: This is this is in in my mind. I mean, like I said, the the big eagle on your shoulder looks cool in the comics, but in the in Stallone in that cod piece (laughs) is kind of upsetting in its own right. But if you're thinking about what a futuristic like riot cop like full full on into the heat of things cop that will look like Judge Dredd in the new one is pretty much it.
1: Yeah. I mean he well, still and look- they they still had the eagle. It was just it was just flush as part of his shoulder padding mm-hmm. on his right arm. Yeah was- and they I mean, still I had think, the giant badge, you know? I
3: think a big part of the problem is mm-hmm. in the in the eighties and the nineties, when comic book movies were first starting to get adapted and everything, everybody thought, you know, being true to the comic book meant making it look like the comic book, not necessarily sticking with the spirit and the plot of the comic book. Whereas we've kind of discovered over the years that the way to make a comic book movie correct is to stick more to the plot than the look.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and hit the general aesthetic. Don't be that guy who's like, it's wrong because they've got the wrong number of pleats. Yeah. On exactly. their costume. It's the reason why the Marvel cinematic universe works it's because they change the things that need to be changed for a modern audience and a film adaptation. They don't slavishly stick to stuff that doesn't matter while changing the things that do.
3: Like Wolverine is not running around in a yellow spandex suit because that's what he had in the comic book. Like you can change it.
1: You know? mm-hmm. Well, although that, that side of the Marvel Universe decided that black leather was the answer to everything.
3: True. I, are you going to say it's not?
1: It's not, no, not for superheroes. Anyway, I mean, it, it works, you know, in some capacity, but at some point you need to have some variation. And that's where, like Josh was talking about in the current MCU, like Captain America's outfit, you couldn't have the one in the comic because it's a giant spandex, one piece kind of thing. But instead they took elements of, you know, his, of a, a, his war uniform, combined it with, you know, the, the costume that he had to wear for the, the USO shows, blended it. And it worked really, really well. And then they've just adapted it from there to be, you know, more superhero-y, but still functional.
2: Right. And it most importantly, it evokes the way the original uniform makes you feel, even if it's not page-to-screen accurate.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with Dread. If you look at the comic, there's no way you could have faithfully made that work in real life. And this like josh said it it has the spirit of it and it's still got that same sensibility and feel but it's functional and it makes sense in that world and and you're right about back in the 90s they the idea was that we're going to make it as close to the comic as possible whether it really works or not and it doesn't work half the time well and
0: that's i mean that's actually a good theme with pretty much all comics i mean you think about i'm okay not superman but i'm trying to think of like some of the some of the characters like um Dark Phoenix or uh, Kurt Wagner, uh, the um, the Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler. You know that outfit, the big triangle thing with the big shoulder pads on there. I mean, those, those, those are drawn and those are created in comic books because they look cool on paper. You know, you can't. the The giant eagle on the shoulder. I mean, there's very few comic characters that I think that would make a good transition. Keep their perf. Keep their outfit from page from page into the movies and have it still look good i mean batman is one because you know it's pretty much all black and you know he's got the cowl and all that and you know i'm thinking of that one another one that i'd love to see would be uh captain britain movie
1: i love captain britain
0: That's a great one gotta write that down
1: alpha flight in general but well especially
2: when you get uh even the judge Uh, caliber
1: sorry yeah.
2: Judge Dredd tier characters where they don't have a huge built-in fan base, you really have to make a super compelling movie mm-hmm. because you're not going to have the built-in. You're going to have geeks like us, but honestly, among movie-going pu- uh, public, how many of us are there?
0: Right, and how many of us? I mean, and even how many of us in, in this that know of Judge Dredd are going to look at that and go, "Oh," or whatever comic movie and go, oh, "Look at that goofball!" You know, couldn't they have fixed the outfit? Couldn't they have made it a little bit more? realistic looking and i think that's what they tried to do with the new one is you know they're um you know these are cops yes they're judge judge and jury and executioner and all that but at the same time they have to be able to function because the world that they dumped them into in peach trees these are these are not comic book villains these are like this is a gang this is not you know the uh villain du jour from the original batman says so these are violent criminals that they're going up against and a giant you know shoulder eagle is going to block your vision it makes no sense to have if you're doing that sort of thing so i like the well, fact that they took it and put a little bit of logic into it
1: the other thing that they did right with this is they they pulled back and they didn't oversaturate it with too much of because the world is so full of characters that in the first one they just tried to shove as many of the big ones as they could in here they they just had Judge Dredd, Anderson, a couple of name drops here and there, and then one major villain that you're fighting. And that's it. Simple, clean cut, and a few other judges, you know, to kind of compare and show that it is, you know, it's a uniform that they're wearing and they're all the same.
2: They were also very intelligent in how they handled the opposition, both in having corrupt judges as part of the opposition and showing that the gangs are really, really horrible, murderous people right off the kick. Because if you don't do that, it's a very uncomfortable story to tell. A cop who goes out and just kills people in the street. Mm -hmm. Just
3: just starts randomly shooting anybody that comes up against him.
2: Right. Especially with people who see that in the headlines. It's like, I'm not going to root for this dude if you don't have the bad guys as really, really bad guys.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Skinning people, putting putting them on a slow-down drug and throwing them off the... The ledge is pretty bad.
0: Yeah, I forgot. That they were, I forgot about the skinning thing. That was. <laughs> so let's give a little call to uh, Mama, as the as the leader of
1: Peach Trees.
2: Yeah, I think she was invented for this. Uh, I don't think she was a character from the comics, as far as I know.
1: I don't remember seeing any of the stuff I've read so far. No, I don't remember seeing her.
2: I believe they made a tie-in comic, but uh she was original and usually that doesn't go so well, but you know what? She was a complete villain with a defined MO, a defined style, um solid as far as I'm concerned. And this she, is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, and she and she stuck to it too. There wasn't any crack in the character. You know, it wasn't like you, you some some movies where you've got this character and at the end they have this change of heart or they have a change of the way they see things or something changes. No, all the way up to the very end where he was throwing her off the balcony, she's like, fuck you, dread."
3: And she wasn't too cartoonish and too over the top. You know, I mean, she was just <clears throat> enough. She took it just far enough, you know, the, the creepy factor and everything to where it didn't get like uh, cartoony. Yeah, she wasn't or, like, a
0: caricature. Like, oh. She was an actual villain.
3: Right. Cause a lot of comic book villains tend to, tend to do that. Like, you know, you guys have heard my rant about the, the main villain and the crow, that kind of crap, you know.
1: Well, and the other thing is, is if in the comics, every, a lot of the early stories weren't, um, these giant story arcs. They were encapsulated, encapsulated single stories that lasted about seven pages. And then it went on to the next story. And, each story had maybe some crossover characters here and there that later became these longer drawn out storylines that, that Josh and I kind of touched on earlier in Mike, but um there was enough people in the city that you could have a, a villain of the, of that series that never came back, never showed his face again. And that that's, I think what kind of made it work here is that the people that really were fans and have read the comics over the past 40 years, could believe that you know there's this random villain that they've maybe never heard of in the comic but that works because there's so much crime there that every other every other seven pages you're gonna have a new villain that you never. there's heard room of. for everybody exactly mm-hmm. it, it's worth it's a worthy question though it's
2: like if you don't have a history with judge dread is it a good movie i mean this is a character who's got one solution to every problem and that's shoot it and uh, for me, the answer is yes, but I understand if someone has the answer no to that question. And obviously, a lot of people did, considering this
1: really, really bombed. What does Pat think, though?
3: What did I think of the movie overall?
1: As as a movie, yeah, not knowing as much. I mean, obviously, you did some research here and there. But yeah, if you're not curving
2: the grade for it being a comic book movie, is this a good movie?
3: Um. It felt a little bit too stylized in, like, the, um you, you remember the movie uh with James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie Wanted? Yeah. It felt a little bit like that, like like they were almost writing stuff just so they could be able to be like, oh, let's do this cool shot. Let's do this cool shot. And that's that and the other. And like I said, it felt like the whole slow-mo drug was invented just to be a plot point so they could do the cinematography that they wanted. All that aside, it was a fairly enjoyable action movie. I mean, I, you know, it, I don't think it necessarily even had to be, you know, a Judge Dread movie. It, it could have just been like any, you know, any, like I said, any kind of uh, one-shot Shadowrun adventure type movie.
2: So. Well, I'm glad to hear that, because, I mean, it is kind of a crime that this thing was made for $50 million and came back with box office receipts of $35 million. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's about as bad as you can bomb.
3: Yep.
0: And that, again, I think does think that Judge Dredd, while in our circles, like the nerd circles, Judge Dredd is a thing. You know, at work, oh, people know that I do the show on Thursday nights. Oh, what's the topic for this week? Oh, I'm the Judge Dredd movies. What? You know, cop just goes around shooting people when they're guilty. You know what, let's just not talk about it. Okay, how about that? It's like, <laughs> but I mean on the Rotten Tomatoes though, seventy eight percent for Tomato Meter for all critics and audience score is seventy two. So I guess post release it's gained Oh more- yeah, it's
1: a cult classic now. Yeah.
0: Now, yeah. Now. So
1: And it stands on its own. I I faded out there, I accidentally somehow Logged out of the thing, but uh, with what Pat was saying before I logged out, I was just going to agree with him that as a standalone movie for someone who's never seen it, it works as just a, a sci fi action movie that takes place somewhere in the near future.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, round table, Judge Dredd first. I assume we're all,
2: yeah, we're all thumbs down on the 95. Uh, it
0: stinks on ice. Now for
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's it's, it's tw- not great. 2012. I give it a thumbs up.
2: Would, would yeah, it's not a super enthusiastic thumbs up, but it's a thumbs up from me.
3: It was,
0: it was like, hey, you did a great job. You know, I'm sorry I didn't make more. Pat, would you watch this again?
3: Mm, if you're, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of my way to not watch it. Let me put it that way.
0: Okay, but at the same time, would you, if it, if you flipped on and it was there, like on your Netflix suggestion list, would you be like, ah, oh, just right, turn it on?
3: Yeah, if I if I wasn't doing anything, if I needed something, like you know, while I'm doing laundry or something, yeah, I I would. I wouldn't yeah. change a channel. That's, that's a sign of a good movie. Keep it on in yeah. the background. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's not a movie that I would like if I'm going to sit there and say, hey, I want to watch a movie right now. I'm going to put all my attention into it. I'm probably not going to watch it again. I don't do that with very many movies I've already seen once, but I'll definitely put background movies on. That I've I seen own before. it.
2: Yeah, let, let's finish our thumbs up. But before we go to wrapping up the show, I do want
1: to talk about the ending. So, Joel, it sounds like you are a thumbs up, obviously. Oh yeah, I was just—I I own it. I've seen it many times, and I, I'm a dread fan. So yeah. Oh
0: yeah, same here. So, I'm a dread fan. I I own it also.
2: So the ending. I did a lot of thinking about the ending because it, you could take the read on the movie that him passing Anderson is him compromising on his principles which Judge Dredd doesn't do, and we hate it when Judge Dredd does stuff that Judge Dredd doesn't do. Mm-hmm. I would make a case for she never actually failed. She didn't lose her primary weapon. Her primary weapon is her mind.
0: Uh, I, I, mean, I could give you that. Because she definitely, I mean, and there is definite reference in the movie of her using you know, her psychic ability as... As a weapon.
1: Hmm.
2: So that's just my take on it. Like, if I was going to be literal and be real hard ass about it, I I would dislike the ending because he he bends and Judge Shred doesn't.
3: Mm -hmm. Or maybe her primary weapon is her her, uh, take no prisoners attitude and her spunky. Careful now. uh, I'm working on it here. Hold on. <laughs> he's, he's
0: working on he's, it. Are on you now. writing this down as you're thinking it?
2: <laughs> Your primary weapon was deep inside you this whole time.
3: <laughs> Your primary weapon is spunk. So is mine.
1: But, I mean, did she technically lose her weapon, if you're counting the, the lawgiver as her, oh, yeah. as her actual weapon? I mean, she she was taken captive, and it was taken from her, but it was destroyed when... And it was used as a weapon inadvertently. She didn't stop him.
2: If you were going to be a by-the-book law guy and count that as a primary weapon, the instant it was in his hands and pointed at her head, she failed. Yep. But, like I said, I think there's a loophole there. Even though I think Dredd might not be a big fan of loopholes, I, I don't think her skill with a gun is what makes her dangerous. Her psychic powers are what makes her dangerous.
0: hmm and i think she i think he did recognize that after he you know after she was like in that one guy's head and messing with him it's you know she he kind of realizes and you do see it in the comics also judge anderson later on doesn't need a gun no you know she'll walk into a room where something's going on and just shut people down because she throws all sorts of shit into their heads so
1: well can we also speaking of her her ability that scene in the elevator I'm sorry. The movie doesn't have a lot of levity in it, but that scene in the elevator, he's, he's thinking about going for your gun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, not anymore. I know.
0: Yeah. That, that scene was pretty funny. I like, I mean, that. it's just,
1: it's a great interaction that, that kind of shows their interplay and how she's uh, obviously more empathetic and, and a different type of person than he is, but they play off each other very well. I think that's why their characters worked so well together for so many years.
2: With no bullshit love story plot and no slapstick comedy, what moments there are that are humorous are super, super dark comedy, Mm -hmm. which works.
0: Nice. and I I did like the elevator scene and I do like your your tip, your idea that her mind is actually the main weapon, Josh.
1: That's cool. I can get behind that. and am behind Judge
0: Anderson. Now we're in another weird spot. (laughs) so what's our weird spot for next week
1: our weird
2: spot is infested with piranhas
0: (laughs) wow
1: yeah that came out (laughs) strange speaking of piranhas
2: so we're going to be talking about the 1978 piranha and piranha 3d made in 2010 yes if uh, you want to uh, give us feedback on our choice of shows, suggest other shows. Or uh, maybe we missed something talking about Judge Dredd. Give us a call and let us know at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727.
0: Yep. And if you're looking for our older stuff, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and as we said before, Podverse.fm.
1: Take us out, Joel. I,
3: uh, I am the law, bitch.
1: <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> You stole my thunder. Oh, bitch, I don't know what to say.